The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on Twitter to join these conversations live and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets. And now, on to our Lead Lag Live discussion hosted by Michael Guyot. My name is Michael Guyot, publisher of the Lead Lag Report. Joining me for the hour's returning champion, uh, Jeffrey Hirsch. Jeff, I know we've done this a number of times here, but just for those not familiar with your background, uh, as always, introduce yourself. Who are you? Uh, what, how'd you get involved in markets? And uh, can you tell me if we're in a correction now or not? I am chuckling. The returning champion comment. Uh, always away with words there, Michael. Well, my name is Jeffrey Hirsch. I am the editor-in-chief of the Stock Traders Almanac. And I got into this business with the Almanac. I was born, bred, weaned, raised on it. My father, my late father, Yale Hirsch, started it back in 1966. And we've been publishing it ever since. The first edition was the 68. It came out in the fall of 67. We have an associated newsletter at StockTradersAlmanac.com where we basically put the almanac to work and recommend stocks and ETFs and, you know, calendar strategies and general market outlook and looking at all sorts of things, not just seasonals and cycles and patterns, but fundamentals and technicals and monetary policy and geopolitics and the news flow. And we try to just look at the market as the real thing that it is. And that's kind of how I got here. I started with him uh, full-time back in 1990 and took over around 2000. And uh, we've been at this for several decades. And we are currently working on the 2024 edition, as well as an edition of the Commodity Traders Almanac, which we haven't put out since 2024. And that's going to come out. We're going to self-publish that. should be out in September or so, maybe October. Putting together that, that data, working with printers again. And, um, you know, right now we're looking at, the, you know, a sideways range bound market. Uh, you want to call it a correction? Sure. Um, I'm looking for lots of chop and volatility. We've got several things converging, you know, seasonal headwinds, fundamentals, technicals, as I said, monetary issues, even though it looks like the Fed's about to pause, geopolitics and politics. And, of course, what the new story that Michael mentioned We'll be distracting the airwaves as well. But there's also support. There's also positives. And it really lines up well with um, our strategy, our cycles, our patterns, the seasonals, the four-year cycle. I know it's a pre-election year, but the worst six months, the selling May period, the May through October period, pretty much gains about a percent or so and uh, bounces around a lot. And then there's the debt ceiling. 
which I put out a chart on recently, a nice analog to 2011. But, um, you know, we're, we're using this time between, you know, NASDAQ has the best eight months. It goes to June. And, and the time between when we got our MACD cell signal for the best, worst, uh, best six months ending in April 25th until we get a cell signal for NASDAQ, we sort of transition to neutral. I've unloaded some things. We've tightened up stops. We picked up some bond positions. And we get ready for the summer and get ready for that fatter pitch. Later in October, I'm looking at this chart right now of uh, 2011 versus 2023, and I don't know that August to October period, or, or you know, early October, it looks like a pretty good buy point if if it tracks like like he continues to track like it is. But you know, the thing that's going on was there any news today with McCarthy and Biden? They didn't meet yet, did they? I, I have been I have been on calls all day long. <laughs> I don't have a clue. I think they are meeting. I think uh, currently I'm seeing on the CNBC. I'm like, currently or around this time. The, the thing that's interesting, and, and we we, an, we annotated this chart, the events that happened in 2011 and, and these moves, like especially the, the speech that McCarthy made uh, to Wall Street and, you know, the demand for cuts, you know, holding that uh, hostage with the debt ceiling. Same first move Boehner made back in, in 2011. I think Boehner and Obama may have had a more cordial relationship. I don't know if you remember that scene from the White House movie theater where I guess Obama bummed Marlboro Light off of him or something like that. You know, they were a little more jocular than the current um, speaker. Same political alignment, Democratic president, Democratic Senate, Republican House, same basic MO and, and, and strategy. And it just looks and, and of course, the calendar of Congress hasn't changed. They're still going to take a recess. They're still going to start campaigning for 2024 in the fall. So they're going to have this battle, whether it ends around the same time or or before or I don't think after. But, you know, it promises to be a somewhat similar trend and pattern for the market and, you know, for the the battle, for the for the showdown. So that's one of the big things we're looking at right now. We started talking about it over a month ago before it became uh, front page news or whatever, you know, financial news. So what do you think? What, what, what do you want to know about most? I sent you a whole bunch of points. Oh yeah. yeah no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to write them off. Hold on. I, I want to know on, on a personal level, do you get, do you get frustrated when people automatically say sell in May as if it assumes stocks will go down? Yeah. <laughs> Every got to drive you crazy. Cause you know, the research, it's not that stocks go down. It's that they have suboptimal returns. Yeah. I mean, we have this battle, not just with the sell in May, but with the Santa Claus rally and with the January barometer. I mean, I spend my life rebutting rebuts, but I like to try to make light of these things. So everyone gets so focused on whether they should sell in May or not. I said, well, you got to get yourself. So you got to buy in October, get yourself sober first, which we did. You know, I try to make a rhyme there, but Basically, the point is that sell in May is meaningless, or at least reposition in May, as we like to, to, you know, to do it or say it. It doesn't matter if you haven't gotten long in October, especially when it sets up like it is last year. I mean, you remember we were bearish last year. We we, we were out of the way and rode that thing down midterm bear market. You know, bottom pickers paradise, October bottom, and we put out a buy signal in October. So the cycles are working. They don't always work this well. I mean, back in the in the late you know '90s and 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 that period, everything was straight up. There wasn't much of a four year seasonal cycle as much. But right now, since you know the last couple of years, it's been right on point. And over the long history, it has and long and short histories, whatever time frame you want to look at, 
except maybe a few select years here or there. But when it tracks like this, as I look at the chart of 2011, 23, late over 2011, it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a positive indication that it's tracking closely to the patterns of the seasonals. All right. So speaking about tracking and patterns, I mean, I know a lot of the work is obviously around broad averages, but this year I'd argue is, is odd in the sense that there's a hell of a lot of divergences that are occurring, right? So you got the NASDAQ, which is up really strongly. You got small caps, which basically are, I think they're down last I checked year to date. SP's up roughly, I think, what, five and a half, six percent. So there's a lot of variability in terms of the performance. It's not like rising tide is lifting all boats. And I saw you like that that tweet, that thread I put out that basically shows that 30% of the Nasdaq's above the 200 day moving average. So everyone's seemingly is bold up. Yes, it's been chopped for the large caps, but there does seem to be like there's a correction underneath the surface. In prior pre-election years, how do how do different cap indices tend to behave compared to what's happening now, meaning small caps, mid caps? Is this a bit of an outlier? Everything's behind. We'll be back after a quick break. Hello, listeners. Michael Gayad here from Lead Lag Live. Are you ready to take a deep dive into market trends, risk management, and investment strategies? Then you need the Lead Lag Report. Our in-depth analysis helps you understand the financial markets like never before. And guess what? We're giving you a chance to experience it at a discounted rate. Visit theleadlag.report slash leadlaglive and get an exclusive 30% off on your subscription. Don't miss out. Level up your investment game with the Lead Lag Report. And now, back to our discussion. Everything's behind. I mean, the sweet spot that that we've spoken about before got a little soured. I mean, NASDAQ's leading, but the, the three-quarter combo from the, the Q4 to midterm year to Q2 to the pre-election year, NASDAQ's up 29% on average. It's nowhere near that. So, you know, this brings me to the, the, the debt ceiling showdown and the other issues that are going on here. Yeah, I mean, the seasonals are working, but in conjunction with the other analysis. And it's like a pre-election year that's got other stuff going on. And I think that can push this usual, you know, bullish, you know, big bullish move out a little bit to fourth quarter and even into ele- the election year that have that have been, you know, getting better recently. But this, the small caps, you know, they underperform seasonally, you know, starting in March as well. I know it's behind. There's the banking crisis definitely had a, a took a toll on that. And, and the consumer as well as is having an impact there. But there are other things going on. I mean, yeah, the economy is slowing, but it's still positive. I mean, GDP from GDP now looks like it's going to be positive, but a little bit slower. The Fed hiked rates, but looks like they're pausing. You know, there's a lot of cross currents that, to me, you know, yes, we'll probably get a correction, whatever you want to call that. We had one in March. We'll probably have more, 5 10%, whatever. I mean, 2011, S&P was down 19.4%. That was a, a mini Ned Davis research to find bear market in my book, and it is in my book, but it's not atypical. It's very much like a lot of years where there are things going on in, in the um, economy, in the political arena, in the geopolitical arena, and it's something to expect. It's, that's why the best six months where six months works. We get out of the way of this stuff. This kind of thing tends to happen during this time frame when um, – you know, politicians and companies operate on their calendar basis. It's interesting to me when you know I look at consumer discretionary stocks and retailers. I mean, they broadly keep on under 
performing. So I've made this point before, lumber weakness, which is about housing, is consistent with small cap weakness, weakness consistent with consumer discretionary weakness. So if you believe that there's a leading aspect to markets, the fact that these areas are already weak would suggest that we're entering a weak period, you know, coinciding with the sell may go away period. Yeah, it's precisely totally coinciding with it. I mean, that we put out, uh, you know, the best sectors for the worst months, and it's staples that are up there consistently. Not necessarily mind blowing gains, but uh, you know, average gains, but up, you know, seventy eight point eight percent of the time from nineteen ninety to twenty two. Consumer staples, the S and P staples sector, uh, along there with healthcare. I mean, these are the kinds of sectors and the ETFs that we have put out in the newsletter for people to rotate into during this seasonally weak period and fundamentally weak period like you're talking about. So, you know, it's it's about using all of the the data and tools that we have. It's not I'm I'm not I mean I'm a big fan of the CMT. I use technical analysis. I think I sent you a picture or, or you've seen my my charts. I'm actually gonna go for my CMT. I got level one in. But we also look at fundamentals. First thing my father taught me when analyzing a stock was price to sales ratio. And still look at things like that. We have a fundamental stock screen, a robust screen, looking for acceleration of growth and uh, acceleration of growth in revenue and earnings, amongst other things, evaluations, PEs, price to sales, et cetera, and uh, under Wall Street Trader. And then on the short side, we, we look for the inverse of that. So it's not just about patterns, cycles, seasonality, or fundamentals, or technicals, or monetary policy, or sentiment. It's all of it. We call it the five disciplines. So I was doing a, uh, a podcast earlier with Stansberry Research, and the, mm-hmm. the the question posed to me was, you know, so what about all this uh, speculative short positioning in S&P minis, and, you know, shouldn't that keep, uh, shouldn't that result in a floor, right, for equities if, if we're in a correction or about to have a correction? And my response was, okay, well, the problem with all this thinking around the contrarianism of positioning is that everyone else knows to be contrarian. Which means, which means you have to be contrarian on being contrarian, and maybe the next speculative short. You're right. Doesn't that doesn't that cancel yeah, that's out? my point. That's exactly my point. So, so, so I don't know. Do you have you looked at any, at any of that kind of data around you know futures positioning? Does that throw anything off, or is all this independent of whatever position existing large speculators have now? I look at some of that stuff. I, I think the options. I mean, the the old put call ratio out of Barrons, which was the weekly one, was great when they didn't have every kind of option out there. I think some of these contrary indicators, the VIX as well, and put call and, and, and the COT report and the kind of stuff you're talking about, isn't quite as indicative as it used to be because everyone's following it and it's just too much going on there. I still look at investors' intelligence sentiment for that. And it's kind of something that hasn't been as manipulated. I know it's a survey, but you're talking about a survey of people like ourselves who actually get paid to tell people what they think the market is going to do and have been doing it for years. So it's a survey of, um, you know, the smart money, I guess you could say, uh, or at least, you know, uh, uh, not just people with opinions, people that get paid for their opinions. And that seems to to work. And it seems to have shown a, a drop down in October. You know, I, 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 could, I could show you that. I've, I've posted it. I have it. But it really, and, and I go back, you know, 20 odd years, you can see the, those peaks, the difference of those peaks or valleys, excuse me, the difference between bulls and bears really shows up, you know, in 08, 09, in, in 15, 16, in 11, as, as I mentioned before, and here in, um, back in, in, in 22, in June and October. So, 
you have to look for sentiment indicators that are um, or contraindicators that are indicative. So just because everyone's short and everyone knows about it doesn't mean it's necessarily a buy. You know, I mean, it's it's something that you have to take into consideration with other things and 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 look at if it's actually working or has worked. But yeah, big short positions in general probably means there's there's um uh, a put underneath there. You know, probably keeps a floor in there. As I said. You know, I'm looking. I'm looking at the range for the S and P of 38 to 4200, and if we break above that, that'll be bullish. If we come below that, that'll be more bearish. Otherwise, I think we're trapped in that range. Yeah, and it's funny. I had put out put out that tweet before. It's like everyone's getting hyper bulled up and hyper bared up, and the reality is, <laughs> markets haven't gone anywhere now for a while. On a real return basis, they have, right? But the reality is, there hasn't been too much from like a year, year and a half ago, at least on the S and P. Um, I, I want to go to the the CDS uh, spreads right on on the US, or yeah. Canada, which is I've been watching this on the periphery. It's um, and I, this is another parallel to your point around 2011. Uh, has that been surprising to you? Because everyone, look, we all know this shit's going to get passed. It's like yes, this is, this is, yeah. Thank you, yeah, like, thank you. But but that's Great. not to say that you can't have other unintended consequences of them playing games like what happened in 2011 with the debt downgrade. True. Um, I do think we, we benefit from having been through this in 2011 and, and, and being more aware of it. I think it, that may soften the impact a little bit or at least, you know, or somewhat remains to see how much, but go on with the CDS. Well, no, no, but, but the point is like, you know, if, if you would think markets w- would say, okay, this is not going to matter. So why would the CDS, why would the insurance side get, get bit up. So well, what's your interpretation of what's happening with the CDS side of things? They're basically saying that we're in a situation where the, the, the government's going to screw around. The politicians are going to screw around and freak the markets out. And we're going to have a situation, you know, so, somewhat relative to what we had in 2011, where the markets are going to bounce around and, and correct and be volatile while they figure this out. And if they don't, you know, these people that are making these, these uh, you know, dire bets are, are going to make a lot of money. So just the, I mean, this is, these are people that know a lot. I mean, these people know math like you wouldn't believe. And, you know, this was something that was brought to our attention recently by a subscriber, which is great. And it's indicative of the correction you're seeing, of the volatility I'm expecting. But it doesn't mean that the, the world's over. I mean, the other two spikes on that chart, we came back pretty smartly from there uh, shortly thereafter, correct? So it's funny. I was looking up the uh, link I'm going to share in the nest, uh, and my tweet copy pretty much explains it. I didn't realize this myself, but so this is this is five-year CDS in, in euros, right? I guess that's sort of the, the way this is priced, right, that that chart. Yeah. It's the people uh, – it, it's the, the uh, prop desks overseas, I think, betting against the U.S. perhaps. Right, and it's, it's above the 2011 – Movie, you're actually entering like 2008 type or post 2008, you know, GFC type levels. I, I don't know. That seems like wildly speculative. Or to your point, maybe somebody knows something. I, I, you see this 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 idea that's being floated around that maybe they'll just ignore it and say it's not constitutional. But I don't think you can go back further in the chart. I don't think you got 2008 on there. Well, that I think that spike has probably looked at it from the five year. I could be off on that, but I just did it quickly. But yeah, it, it is, it yeah, is yeah. interesting. And, it, and what, what's amazing to me is that treasuries are not really responding on this just yet, right? So I remember in 2011, treasuries were kind of creeping higher in price, dropping in terms of the duration, right? You were seeing yields drop on the low end, almost like in anticipation of something coming. You're not seeing that just yet. To me, it's, it's like I'm saying we've been here before. This happened in 2011. Everyone's aware of it now, and I think these people are overshooting a little bit on the on the on the short side um, with these these CDSs. If I can, if that's the proper plural, whatever. But 
again, the bonds aren't responding. Isn't that the, the, the market that has the real PhD in economics is the bond market? It just, again, supports the range situation. You got, you know, fear-mongering speculators, you know, expecting this thing to implode. But the bond market's kind of just mellowed out. The Fed's slowed down. I want to ask, what do you think about this QT? You think it's going to end a lot sooner than they think? I think it's the it's the cleanest way for the Fed to save face, right? So, so optically, for the average American, hearing uh, the Fed lower rates versus keeping the balance sheet elevated, they probably want optically just to say that you know they're not lowering rates to fight inflation, right? I, I, I think right. there's there's almost like a messaging aspect as far as the QT versus lowering rates type of yes. argument. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be able to get it down much below six or seven trillion. If that, they're not going to go pre-pandemic. It's impossible. It's too big. Yeah, and then of course, and, right, the, and then yeah, good luck. And the regional well, banks. So, so, you know? so that's the other thing too, which I want to hit on. Which is, so I had made that argument on a on a segment that, you know, you've got the the speculative shorts on treasuries, right? And you've got this huge hole that the regional banks have because of the duration mismatch. Okay, one way to 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 uh, save in quotes the regional banks would I would argue and maybe it's conspiratorial, is engineer a short squeeze in treasuries to at least fill the hole a bit, meaning treasury prices go up, long duration yields drop, right, to kind of at least give the regional banks some some time. Um, you think that's a possibility? I mean, if if, if duration stays where it is, you're going to have a lot more cr- uh, bankruptcies. And it's already affecting credit. The Fed probably wants that, but doesn't want it to get out of control. Yeah, that's why I think they'll end up having to put money back in and expand or stop decreasing their balance sheet you know it just doesn't seem like they can continue to uh let it roll off at the pace that it's at maybe maybe for a little while longer but i don't know it, the, the whole the whole banking thing hasn't blown up though there's been a couple of scary days that, you know back in march was a, a, a couple of scary weeks but it seems to have stabilized maybe it's not as bad i mean there's so much fear-mongering on cable tv and the papers everyone's talking about how bad everything's going to be all the time i mean that fear sells we know that but Where's the recession that, that that everyone was you know warning us about? It's still coming, right? Right. It's, it's always coming as long as you're wrong, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I just don't get it. I, I mean, when I mean, we thought there was a recession last year when the um, you know, we had the two negative quarters. So, so play it out. Let's say, let's say, okay. So the sellmate playbook, you know, is there, and then you re-enter the best six months. I hear you. It seems like things are a little bit off timing wise because of these other factors, but. Presumably, there's going to be a point where there's such an overreaction in regional banks that it's a tremendous trading buy, maybe not a long-term investment, right? But for you yourself, would you consider, you know, is that like on your watch list? It's like you get you get kind of excited seeing what's happening with regional banks for a long position? Um, you know, I don't get excited about regional banks unless they show up on my fundamental screens at the time of year and with the proper tacticals. That's when I get excited, when things look really cheap, when the market's been down, like last October. You know, last September we were getting excited about things, but it all it all lines up well. That's when I get uh, excited about getting long positions. And you know, I'm not a guy that takes you know long term positions. I eat my own cooking. I trade the best and worst months. I rotate my sectors. I keep the stocks in my portfolio. If they keep going up, you know, I hang out them. If they come down, uh, we get out. We tighten up stops. We bring up stops. You know, and we trail stops there. We sell half on a double, you know, and I, that's what I do. I'm not going to say, oh, let's make a position in, in, you know, Apple now for the long haul. That's just not 
I mean, I'm not saying that you shouldn't, one shouldn't do it, but that's not my, um, it's not my style. It's not my strategy. I'm an almanac trader. You know? uh, that, <laughs> that is true. Okay. So hold on. So in that, in that worst six month period, in that sell me go away period, which, which months tend to be on a comparative basis, the strongest for those that, you know, believe in the seasonality side, the strongest of the yeah, worst strongest of the worst so in terms of the months, July. Um, and October is now, you know, the bear killer turnaround month. So July, the first month of the, the second half, the first month of the third quarter has shown, shown strengths across the board. It's also a nice time to, uh, get out of those, you know, those, those tech positions for the August, September drop that we see, you know, it, it's, it's hard for people to like not buy stuff all the time. I mean, it's okay to, 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 you know, cash gives you time to think. We got, we can get, get interest now just sitting around. So I'm all right waiting around a few months and then getting long in, in August, September, October again. I had uh, Darius Dale on one of these spaces and he was joking about people losing their damn minds if they couldn't buy Apple, right? Because it just goes sideways. And so to your point, it, it's hard for people to, to understand that they don't have to always trade. Now for discretionary traders, nothing says you've got to try to go long or short here. So, I mean, the benefit of the calendar and the way we have built our strategy is there's usually something to, to buy or sell or trade. I mean, you know, there's there's bond positions right now. There's utilities. There's healthcare. There's staples. We're looking for our buy limit, you know, or, or buy point that we pick looking at the charts. We also put out, you know, uh, a gold and gold miners and, and silver trade. We're waiting for him to come back a little bit. It's not a real seasonal trade, but it's kind of, you know, a strength, beginning strength, as well as, you know, the headwinds and, and the, the the safety here. So we're looking for to get into the GLD and the SLV and the GDX on a little bit of weakness. We say buy dips. We got a you know a couple of buy limits in there. So there's plenty of things for us to get into. But I'm not just waiting for the banks to, you know, that's I'm not one of those types of people that's that's looking to you know short all the high flyers and buy all the dogs we we use a um you know a nice mix of seasonals and fundamentals and technicals and it seems to work over the long haul and even in the short term so we stick with that we'll be back after a quick break Foodies unite with How You Dish. It's social media with a secret sauce. Food, the world's first network for food enthusiasts. How You Dish connects foodies across the world. Share kitchen tips and recipe hacks. Discover hidden gem food joints and street food. Find foodies like you. Connect, chat, and organize meetups. How You Dish makes it simple to connect through food anywhere in the world. So, how do you dish? Download How You Dish on the Apple App Store now. What are the uh, the currency side? I mean, I, I'm of the mindset that the dollar probably is going to have a surprise move higher. That's consistent with risk off, and you know, just like you had everybody uh, talk about the del- dollar wrecking ball at the peak. Right now, everyone seemingly is bearish on the dollar. I, I don't, I don't think it's inconsistent to think that the dollar could rise and gold rise at the same time. But any any kind of interesting analysis there? I mean, I don't really do currencies like that, but you know, the dollar could easily get stronger, especially as the the U.S. economy firms up here with the, the Fed having done its duty, you know, kind of late by my by my uh, uh, assessment and too long by my assessment. But, you know, I'm not an economist. And I think that uh, that sets up nicely for, for the dollar regain strength. Everyone's, you know, 
all worried about China taking over the world and, and what's going on elsewhere. But, you know, we continue to have a very uh, robust system here. It's as fair as they, they, they come. I know there's corruption everywhere, but I think the dollar could easily strengthen and continue to, to you know, gold can continue to, to be a place to be as well. I, I think we're looking at like a long-term stock pickers market, perhaps something, you know, more along the lines of the, uh, you know, I don't think we're getting into a secular bear yet, not for a couple of years, but perhaps, you know, some some stock picking uh, times of yesteryear where, you know, you got to find good stocks at the right time and use your your strategies and the seasonals are in play. So I think the dollar is bound to get stronger. Just to reset the room for the remaining minutes here, everybody, please make sure you follow Jeffrey Hirsch. And if you don't already have it, I highly, highly, highly encourage each of you to check out Stock Traders Almanac. It's always been one of my favorite books to uh, refer to. If any of you want to come up and ask questions, click that bottom left mic request button. I had asked a question via DM to me. Uh, Jeff to ask you, said, uh, she said, uh, will you please ask him about 1995-96, just because that was after Greenspan's uh, tightening and everything that happened with bonds in 94, three-month treasuries during that uh, time. Any parallels at all to that that part of the cycle? I mean, I don't see any real parallels here. I know Greenspan had started doing some things there, but you know, those were the years where it was kind of just, just straight up. I mean, that was the that was the end of the last super boom with all of the technology kicking in there. I mean, every year was up in the four year cycle. It, you know, it just kept going. You know, all the way through there, it was the end of the millennium. So, I, I find it hard to to draw comparisons to that period of time. There was something I wanted to to bring up that I just remembered about the Fed and the bond market, which now that you mentioned Greenspan, it, it reminded me. We went back and looked at a minutes from from the old days when, when Volcker was um, in there, you know, tightening up and 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 clearing out the inflation back in the in the um, late seventies and eighties there. And I know it's you know I don't I'm not a this time is different kind of person, but what's similar to me or or excuse me different to to us now is that. You can hear from the minutes that they were listening to what the bond market was doing and reacting like, oh, the New York desk needs this and this and this. Let's and and the windows, the range of the interest rates was like five percentage points. Like some some if it goes or you know, past the fifteen to twenty-one percent range, then we'll then we'll you know make an adjustment. And they were listening to the bond market, the people who really know what's going on out there. And nowadays, the Fed is trying to lead. And this is why I think the yield curve maybe lagging the recession and um, things may be a, a bit inverted this time around because of the Fed's maneuvering ahead of the bond market instead of listening to it, which is the way it used to be. And that's all the all of the, you know, historical data on the yield curve and all that stuff is based upon years gone past where the Fed was following the bond market instead of trying to lead it as it is now. What do you think of the, the, the implications there? So I've, I've made that point before. It's like the, the Fed doesn't own the bond market. The bond market owns the Fed, which is another way of saying what you just mm-hmm. said, right? Uh, but, but yeah. you know, so, and it seems to me like every time the, you have a headline that, you know, it's the most inverted ever, it gets more inverted, right? Um, you think the Fed is, is maybe getting a little bit too cocky in thinking that it can control this? Yeah, I think they already have. It's way far gone, way past getting. I mean, they're they're trying to. I mean, not that not that it's not a valiant effort. They're trying to do the right thing. Um, they're trying to learn from the past, but a bit much. So, um, if you want to hear this quote, I just found it from the August eighteenth, nineteen eighty one meeting. 
just before the 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 uh, historic yield curve inversion in eighty one that everyone was citing back in March. This is in quotes. The chairman may call for committee consultation if it appears to the manager for domestic operations that pursuit of the monetary objectives and relative reserve paths during the period before the next meeting is likely to be associated with a federal fund funds rate persistently outside a range of 15 to 21 <laughs> percent. Oh, I'm sorry. Um we're worried about five percent, zero to five here. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, back then you didn't have thirty-two trillion trillion dollars of government debt. <laughs> yeah, I understand. But there, they were just off the desk. You know, their objectives are not right. We'll, we'll make an adjustment by the next meeting. Now it's like this is what we're doing. We're data dependent. You know, I think, I think, so I think issue, right? the, the issue is they they have to be so much more precise now than in the past because. When you're in a highly levered society, right, it's, it's a classic butterfly effect argument, right? Small impact having, I guess, high leverage creates margin calls. Right? Like I, I made that argument before. It's like, okay, so it's true. There's a lot of cash on the sidelines. A lot of money's gone into money markets. You know, shouldn't that, again, keep a floor under equities? And my response is, okay, but if you have a margin call because the system's levered, a lot of that money goes away, right, to cover existing leverage. So the Fed of old versus the Fed today, you know, could have been, you can argue, um, a little bit more random in its in its interest rate policy versus now, where it has to be really precise. I think that goes, you know, with a lot of things this day and age that everything's got to be more precise, especially your words. Everything's recorded, you know. But yes, the amount of money is definitely exponentially larger, and and things change, you know, much faster with each with each bit. Yeah, so I don't know. I'm just not convinced that the world's ending here. That um, we haven't seen a lot of the negativity uh, over the last, you know, six months or more, maybe even better part of last year with the sort of rolling recession and rolling bottom. I mean, the, the Russell that everyone's worried about right now, which, you know, is, is, is struggling with some of the, the banking issues and, and some of the other small cap stuff. You know, they, it bottomed back in June on a closing basis. Dow bottomed in September on a closing basis. S&P was October 12th closing. NASDAQ and, and the NDX was December 28th closing, but they all had an intraday low on October 13th. We've seen, you know, lots of layoffs from big companies, you know, resetting from their pandemic, uh, big hirings, and, and there have been a lot of, you know, earnings revisions and, and, you know, not as bad as expected stuff. And some things are, there's just, you know, I'm sorry, everything's just not going in the same direction. And it's creating this this sideways action, this probably correction. But I, I don't see the lows being taken out. I, I, I don't see, you know, the, the end of the world, this Armageddon bear market that, you know, the fear mongers are calling for. We could easily churn and have different things rotate into leading and lagging. Uh, as we work through the excesses from, you know, the Great Recession, you know, ZERP policy and the pandemic fiscal spending and the political uh, and, you know, soci sociological upheaval we've had over the past couple of years, you know, it's going to take some while. For, for, it's going to take a while for all that to, to heal and work itself out. 
And the stock market is the best indicator of it all, of it all as far as I know. So I saw you were liking the tweets to the response to the space where people, I said, reread the tweet, right? <laughs> the people that were commenting on it. Yeah. Um, so base case, you know, 10, 15%. What, what would cause you to say, you know what, now it's a different playbook. Maybe the base case was wrong and, and there's a new base case. What, what would you be looking for to, to change the mindset there? Well, it wouldn't be a new base case. It would be our worst case scenario or our best case scenario or somewhere in there. So... Back when we hit the January indicator trifecta with the Santa Claus rally, the real Santa Claus rally, the last two days, the last five days of the year and the first two of the new year that Yale invented and the January barometer, full month S&P, January, and then the first five days, all those three were up. We had a bear market. I argue a bottom back in 2022. It was definitely a bear market in everybody's book, whether it was over or not, that's that can be debated. That's when we flipped to our best case scenario. We were looking for, you know, above average pre-election year gains of more like, what, 20, uh, 15 to 20 percent. And in order for me to see that again here, I think we need to take out those August highs, about 4,300. We'll need to see breath improve, small caps improve, and other things along those lines, new highs, new lows, all that kind of market internal stuff, which we haven't discussed yet. And on the flip side, we'll need to take out those lows. We'll need to take out 38 with uh, 3,800 with you know some bad breath and uh, some other things. It could also be some exogenous impacts, either positively or negatively. Whether the war in Ukraine ends or gets worse, something happens in in Washington, uh, where the debt ceiling gets solved, or there's a real huge impasse. I mean, it's um, any number of things could could uh could trigger that but i think we'll all see it in the charts and again you got to draw those lines with a big fat thick crayon or sharpie because it's not an exact point of 3800 or not it's relative with other things going on and that's why you know everyone's been trying to design the the best algorithm ever and it still doesn't exist and it takes a the heart of a trader and a manager to to you know be defensive, hedge themselves, and 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 make smart moves when the time comes. I love drawing those uh, squiggly lines with crayons, uh, as some Twitter followers may be aware of. Okay, so so <laughs> you, you got the uh, the commodity traders almanac coming out uh, soon. Mm-hmm. Um, any any interesting uh, things that you've uh, uncovered when it comes to different commodities into uh, an election year? Forget about the pre-election year. Let's let's kind of go beyond that. From a com- commodities are still a hot area in terms of where people want to focus. Right? It's been maybe disappointing. Other than gold, uh, especially this year, right? right. But what uh, what what interesting observations have been coming out from that work? You know, it's it's more a seasonal thing. There's not a whole lot of four year cycle stuff. I mean, commodities revolve around the calendar with usage. I mean, it comes out of the agricultural, you know, sort of mindset and the heating and cooling mindset. I don't see a lot of real four year cycle correlation with with commodities. It's more you know business cycle, which is is not really you know as 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 cyclical as, as uh, I look for, but some of the things that you know we've seen with other um, with the stock market seasonality, some things have shifted. I mean, I just put out a, a little chart on the the spec list that I'm on there, and Larry Williams reminded us all that it used to be buy in May and make some hay back in the old days. And I have a chart. I think you've seen it where you know the 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 Dow goes up from May through September uh, when with the you know the planting and and harvest, the reaping and, and sowing season. So we've seen some things shift like that, as we have with the stocks. 
oil, you know, energy has gotten weaker uh, or the, the bullish pattern is period has ended a little bit earlier, like in May, we've seen gold shifting. So it's, it's kind of a, a, a tracking of, of how, you know, our uh, collective behavior as investors and traders has impacted um, some of these patterns. But I don't really see anything for your cycle oriented or commodities that are hot coming into the election year. I think it more depends upon, you know, which president and which policies are coming in uh, as to what commodities are going to be, you know, whether it's the the climate change people, you know, or the um, build back better. I mean, that, that's that's the same group right now, or whether it's, you know, uh, infrastructure and, you know, some more of the materials and copper and that sort of stuff. But uh, I think that's more depending upon the policies and the the administration that's coming in. Are there any particularly strong um, monthly patterns with certain commodities that tend to repeat? Yeah, I mean, I know obviously with the sell made, you yeah. go into bonds, right? So that's clear, right? But yeah. what about on the That's a yeah. good one. That works. Some of the faves, um, copper in December, along with oil and um, oil stocks, which is sort of commodity related, and the the natural gas trade in, in – um, in, in February, which I got into myself, seems to still be a, a nice, strong period. Gold in the fourth quarter works. You know, it's hard to really get a, a great trade on uh, if you're not a real, you know, commodity trader with grains and, and some of the other ones uh, like hogs. Or it used to be, um, you know, a, a nice uh, trade for for uh, for cattle. It sort of revolved around the summer uh Build up for all the school lunches, you know, where you'd see this run in cattle starting in in uh, early summer going through. So it's a little more nuanced and a little more complex than this than than your sell in May or your buy in October and your best and worst months because there are different growing and um, usage periods uh, for the different commodities. So um, you know, you'll have to read the book to see all the all the tricks and secrets. I, I love the tease there. That's a big long-term chart. That reminds me more of the uh, super boom forecast I made. The downtrend in, in, in rates, you know, it's as Michael was pointing out, it's hard to envision us going much higher with the amount of money, what's the word, just floating around or sloshing around is, is, is the better word. But I, I think we've seen a low. I think the end of the, the zero interest rate policy um, is here. I just don't think we're going to get back up to any of those those high levels that we had in the past. I don't think we can afford it. But um, you know, five percent is historically you know at low average for that type of thing, and it's 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 it seems more reasonable. I mean, I think we're going to have to get used to not having these super low interest rates. I'm sorry for everyone who didn't refinance during the you know those low rate periods, but that's going to be the reality. So yeah, I guess short answer is yes. I think that 40 year downtrend is over. I just don't think it's going back up to those double digit or, you know, high single digit levels. I can't conceive that being manageable or affordable with the world and the, uh, and the coffers and the, and the, um, you know, balance sheets that the size that they are, you know, I mentioned this, this big forecast. I don't know if you meant, and it sort of dovetails with what you're saying about what happened back in the sixties and the nifty 50. So I'll tell a story back in, in 1976, my, my father put out, uh, 
a forecast for Dow 3420 by 1990. And he did a whole study on, um, and this is a cycle that, I, that uh, on, on 500% moves in inflation, uh, 500% moves following in, inflation and the secular bear market is basically, and war It's based upon what happened after World War One, World War Two, And the forecast was we're at the end of Vietnam and the inflation ending, we were going to rock it up 500 plus percent points. We did, obviously, there was that August 82 bottom. And then, you know, the, the inverse of that, the post-World War or the, the, the previous one, the post-World War II super boom ended it, with the nifty 50 there. We had that whole secular bear market from, you could argue, 64 with the Gulf of Tonkin resolution or, or 73, whatever you want to, to, to put it there, all the way through 82. So I put out a forecast in 2010, May of 2010, with the Dow around 10,000 for another 500 plus percent move for Dow 38,820 by the year 2025. So we're pretty close to that. And, you know, I have a, a, a projection chart that sort of I put out with the book I did there. And I've been thinking, like, what am I going to do for an encore here? And talking with some hedge fund friends and trader friends who are stock pickers, it's looking to me like, and this, you know, maybe a little, you heard it here first kind of thing, that once we get up towards those levels, we might go a bit higher up to the 40,000 area, you know, in the next several years. But we may end up going back to that 70s sideways period where, you know, the stock market doesn't go a whole lot anywhere for the better part of a decade or so, or at least, you know, it could be a, a shorter time frame like we had in, in, in the 20s, where it was like, you know, less than a decade, some of those, that, that secular cycle. So I don't think we're there yet, um, based upon the long-term cycles that I'm looking at. But um, there is a potential for us to uh, have the stock market not do a whole lot, with um, seasonals and stock picking and, you know, old fashioned, you know, technical and fundamental analysis paying off for quite a number of years after the next election or so. I, I, would, I would add real quick on that. I would add, I mean, I, that shouldn't be that surprising to people. I mean, we, I keep making this point. We've had more than a lost decade in emerging markets. You had effectively a lost decade in certain parts of the bond market with a sell off last year. I mean, why is it so impossible to imagine that we're already in a lost decade now for U.S. equities? That's not unimaginable. I just don't think we're there yet. I think, and if, if anyone's got an almanac, a 23 almanac, this is all updated on page 104. I am looking, I am, look, I am looking to, it up. No, I'm not. <laughs> I was just trying to reference it uh, real you, ha- you have an almanac, I'm, right? Listen, I, I, I'm telling you, I'm not, there's no bullshit to the audience. Like, I, I, I have always been a fan of of the almanac. So, uh, you know, it, to me, it's, it's it, like I say, it's, it's a phenomenal study. But, but this big chart that, that is a redraw of what Yale did back in the 70s. I mean, in the book that I did, I have a picture of the newsletter that he did where he he drew the lines with a marker on a, on a like, a you know, a transparency thing. That used to bring out, and you'll see what you're talking about in the '60s on this, where we went sideways. Yeah, I'm with you on that. You know, you talk about rolling inflation. You know, I, I reference you know some things you see on on Main Street. You know, I just picked up a couple of grilled chicken breasts for lunch. That used to be nine ninety nine a pound. Now it's twelve ninety nine a pound. I mean, that's some nice inflation right there. Well, what, what page of that is that? Is that on the in the almanac? One zero four, one zero four. And I'm talking with the price of chicken. Oh, the price of chicken. It's a uh, iron tomato in white plains, but still and just and you saw the eggs go up and then they came back down. I mean, I see the rolling inflation and I think the impact on Main Street, you know, people 
who run stores and who, who you know, whether you're a national company that's putting out things into grocery stores or wherever, or you're a small shop, sometimes it takes a while for you to raise your prices, you know, because you, you, you don't want to lose customers. And I think that that's definitely happening. Um, I'm still seeing the upside for at least another couple of years, but it doesn't mean we haven't seen the, the you know, the top already. I, I personally don't believe that. My research doesn't show that, but I think we get through another another election cycle before we get into um, the potential, you know, lost decade in the U.S. with working to to you know bring manufacturing back here and moving stuff from China to Mexico, which is happening, as you uh, astutely point out there. I think that's going to take some time to work through, but it is, it is, we are starting to see that writing on the wall though, for sure. Maybe just to, to close off, I, I want to get your thoughts, uh, speaking about commodities, uh, on if there's any interesting patterns when it comes to my favorite commodity, which is lumber. Um, I keep back to, and a lot of people have noted this, home builder stocks are giving a very different message than lumber itself. I have not myself seen any evidence that suggests home builder stocks are predictive. I um, have to be proven wrong on that, but I know lumber historically can be. Any any interesting kind of seasonal patterns or anything that you've noted when it comes to lumber, when it comes to that uh, commodity trader's almanac? Guess what's not in the commodity oh, trader's you're almanac? You're killing me, man. But guess what? We still have time to put in there. Okay, so you, you want me to write a forward around that? I can... I can. <laughs> yeah, maybe you help us do the research on it. <laughs> it's funny because, you know, lumber, you, you actually prove exactly my point. It's like nobody focuses on lumber. But I'd argue again, it's the most important commodity because of the link to housing. Let's do this offline. We will consider putting if we can find some proper cycles and and almanac style stuff for lumber, and and it works. And we and and we have a highly correlated you know ETF for stocks to trade it, like the 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 um, home builders and such that that you're keen on that you're versed in. It would make a great addition to the to the commodity traders almanac. And who better to be involved than you? I, uh, everyone heard it here first. I am now going to be <laughs> a part of it. All right, maybe for the final few minutes again, everybody, please make sure you follow uh, Jeffrey Hirsch here on Twitter and check out Stock Traders Almanac and Commodity Traders Almanac. If you're if you're a uh, let's call it a retail investor trader, your best piece of advice in this period would be what? It's not about buying or selling, but what would be something that you think people need to just keep in mind for the rest of the year. Patience, remain calm. You don't have to buy. You can sit in cash until you get a fatter pitch, um, until you get a better, you know, entry point, a better opportunity. I mean, if you're a nimble, savvy trader and you can move in and out, you know, have at it, use your strategies. And I just want everyone to know that we do a monthly um, webinar for members only. And we spend the bulk of the time answering questions and talking about stuff and Getting even getting ideas like I just got from you and the CDS thing, you know, people will bring up things and ask us, you know, like, well, how do you trade this? And it's like, well, I mean, here's our trading strategy. You know, when you when you go to take a position in in a stock or an ETF or whatever it is, you become a day trader, even if you're not the day that you're going into making your trade or or you're looking for your buy limit. So, I mean, I think patience, calmness, check your emotions, you know. Now's the time to clean out underperformers and losers, go easy on new buying, you know, and just tighten up stops and be a little bit more defensive and neutral, especially with all of the headwinds and obstacles we're talking about, not just the seasonals, but um, the other topics we touched on. That's a uh, good place to wrap this Twitter space up. Uh, thank you everybody for joining and uh, hopefully I'll see you all next time. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it.
The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on X, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube, and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets.